Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. And you know, we just got through a very grueling campaign. This is not a political message by any stretch, but we scrutinized the candidates, didn't we? And didn't they scrutinize one another? And that's, a, that's an okay thing. And I think about the constant theme that ran through the campaign, and especially when we got down to our, our last two um, candidates, and that is that we had two flawed candidates to choose from. You know, it was the lesser of two evils, and that we had to try to choose between two flawed people. But I thought about it, and I said, well, what, does this, what makes this election any different than any other election? Because any man or woman who runs for office is flawed, aren't they? Just as we are, just by the mere fact that we're human and that we're sinful, we are flawed. Now, we, thankfully, most of us won't get scrutinized like the candidates do for elected office. And I thank God for that that our flaws aren't all poured out on the table for people to see. But it says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I continue to consider the state of the culture that we live in and understand that we live in a flawed, fallen culture. And so the people, as Pastor Joe mentioned uh, before the election, the people that we put up to run for office just are a reflection really of our culture, of our society, because we're flawed, we're fallen, and we're sinful. But God is a God of miracles, is he not? And he saves people in the midst of this fallen and flawed culture, this dark and decadent society that we live in, and he uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. So what that does for us is it gives us encouragement, doesn't it? Because we are imperfect. We are flawed and we are sinful. But we, we're going to see through this beautiful story in Joshua 2 and some other scriptures that God can work in the midst of a decadent culture and in the lives of flawed and sinful people and he can work out a beautiful plan for their future and for our future. The title to the, today's message is Flawed, but with a future. See, that's what God does in each and every one of us. He understands our imperfections. He understands our flaws. And he wants us to get beyond that so he can give us a beautiful future in his kingdom. There are many examples of this in the Bible. Today I want to focus on one which had not only personal and individual implications at that time, but also had national implications. 
And as always, we want to make application to our lives. So a little background before we get into the main text. We've got to go back a chapter to Joshua chapter 1. And in verses 1 through 3, just gives us the, um, just sort of the background to this story. Begins with the death of Moses and the passing of the role of deliverer of the Israelites to Moses' assistant. It says in verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. So, Just to understand what God is doing here, God has promised the nation and its people blessings. He's promised this promised land, this land of milk that's flowing with milk and honey. And he also promises for us a life of purpose and a life of blessings if we trust in him and step into what he has for us. You see, the people, the children of Israel needed to believe God needed to trust in God, and also needed to take that step of faith to step into what he had for them. See, God had already given them the victory. God had already established from before the foundation of the world what he was going to do. It's now something that was up to the people to believe and to trust. You know, and how many times do we miss out sort of on God's blessing, what God wants for us, because we don't trust him. We don't believe him. And even if we do, we're reluctant to step out into the promises that he has for us. Many times we miss out because we don't act on the command that he's given to us. God gave Joshua the command to step out into the land and to take hold of what God had already promised to give to the people. The means by which God would accomplish that, that blessing, that promise, affected many people's lives at the time. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God's plan of redemption in many of the stories. And it always causes me to search deeper into the Old Testament. You know, because in the New Testament, we see the Gospels. They speak of the life of Christ. They, and then we see the epistles that speak of the, of the plan of salvation brought through the Messiah. But in the Old Testament, we see all of those things more as a picture of what was to come. So as we look into the Old Testament, we see God's plan for salvation. The focus today is on a particular woman named Rahab. Now, for those who don't know the story of Rahab, she would be considered a flawed person. And as a matter of fact, the Bible is not shy to express her flaws. But God extended amazing grace to her. He extended mercy to her even though she was someone that we really wouldn't consider someone worthy of that. But again, we always look at people kind of without turning back and looking in the mirror at ourselves. 
See, God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. And He's already established that purpose, that plan, before we were even born. And He knew our shortcomings. He knows our flaws. And He extended mercy to us anyway. And He wants to use us. We're going to see today that God will use the most unlikely person in order to glorify Himself. And let's look at it also through the lens of a mirror, looking back at ourselves. Because aren't we all unlikely figures in the plan of God? Aren't we all unlikely in this kingdom that He wants to establish? So we're going to focus on five elements of Rahab's life, which are really probably not much different than many of us. So beginning in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 2. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from the Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. So, as I said before, the Bible's not shy in, in putting forth the flaws, what we could, would consider the flaws of Rahab we see here that she's a prostitute. She lives a lifestyle which really was representative of the decadent culture that she lived in. You know, Jericho was already scheduled for complete and utter destruction by God because of its wickedness, because of its idolatry. And Rahab lived in the midst of that. Now, it's not an excuse because we live in a very similar culture. You know, idolatry and paganism were rampant back then. They're the same today. So, although she was given over to the culture, we don't have to be. But even if we, d- we were, and this is going to show us that our past does not define our future. Amen? That our past, God can overcome Because we all have a past. Makes me think of the world we live in and how far from God the culture is and how far from God many of us were or maybe still are. So why would God want to use her, speaking of Rahab, as part of his plan? Well, because it says in Psalm 40, verse 2, He also brought me up out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. What a beautiful thing to understand how far God reaches down into our situation and brings us sinners out of that pit and sets us upon that rock. You know, we we sung today about the rock of ages, Jesus Christ who is the one who is stable in an unstable world. That when God reaches down and brings us out of that miry clay, that He sets our feet upon Jesus Christ. And that, that now we have a life that God can use. And He gets the glory. He gets the glory when He pulls us out of that pit and establishes us in His kingdom. Moving on in in, uh, Joshua 
And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring the men out who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman told the two men and, uh, took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. So, as we scrutinize Rahab, because the Bible uh, gives us this story, we see another flaw in her. Not only was she a prostitute, but she was a liar. Now, there are differing opinions, commentators, on whether she had to lie in order to save the spies that were sent, or that God just used the lie to accomplish His will. We're not going to establish one way or the other right here. That's for you to do some of your own reading and studying and meditating on. It's not really important to the story, although it's part of what we see in Rahab as another one of her flaws, that she was a liar. You know, we, give, we live in a culture today where lying is... Well, it's not given the same stigma maybe that it used to be. You know, we tolerate lying. In the business world, we tolerate lying to get ahead. In the political realm, we tolerate lying to win elections. We tolerate lying in our personal lives maybe to promote our own agenda. You know, Rahab had lied to protect the righteous men who were doing God's will. There are many things recorded in the Bible, just as a little side note here. There are many things recorded in the Bible which have no moral judgment attached to them. This is one of them. This is one where it's just reported as the facts, but it gives no moral judgment. Her lie was neither praised nor excused, but in the context of the situation, we can see that she really made a courageous decision to do that. It was interesting that the spies came, they went to this house of this known prostitute, and again, there's conjecture as to whether they knew what her uh, career was, so to speak, before they went in, or if that's just who God had led them to to be used in this story. I tend to think that it's who God led them to because of the rest of the story, which we'll see. But it's interesting that he hit, she hid them, but how quickly the king found out that they were there. Again, I see God's hand in this, that he used this flawed person, as he will us, and he used her to accomplish great things and awesome things. Not just in this particular situation, but in her personal life. Moving on in verse 8, it says, Now before they lay down, 
she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. These are the words of Rahab. These are the words of a flawed, sinful person. We saw the one element that's working through this story, and that is the flaws of Rahab. But we see something else here. We see the fear of Rahab. Now, fear is not usually a positive emotion. But in this case, and in, the, and in many cases, God can use it. And he, and he does that in the life of Rahab. She told the men that the whole land was, was faint-hearted because of you. She told them that the whole land was in terror, in fear, because of the people of Israel. But was it really them that they were afraid of? Was it the people they were afraid of? Not really. It was the God of Israel that they were afraid of. It was the God of Israel who was so powerful in, in the land at that time. Look at verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. The Lord, in His power, in His might, in His providence, did an amazing thing that went all through the, the known world at that time. Christians, when God works in your life, when God does an amazing thing, in your life, through your life, people should know about it. It should be heard in your friends and in your family and in your workplace. God, when God does an amazing thing, He delivered the children of Israel through the Red Sea, delivered them out of the land of Egypt, out of the sin, and into what He had for them. Has He not done the same? with each of us who have given our lives over to God through Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice on the cross. Why should we keep that to ourselves? Why shouldn't that word go out to a, to a world that's needy? You know, the word went out even to this decadent city of Jericho. The word of God went out. What He did in the lives of the children of Israel. And it brought fear. It brought fear. Why? You know, fear can have a lot of different emotions tied to it. And it can also work in a lot of different ways. The first way it worked is that the reputation of an all-powerful God went forth to this city that was given over to sin. 
As believers, our greatest testimony to an unsaved world is the power of God demonstrated in our lives, the deliverance from sin to salvation. But the second place that fear can have, even in God's plan, is the understanding that, that people that are given over to sinful and immoral living, that one day God is going to judge them, just as He would have judged us before we gave our lives over to Christ. And you know, there's a certain level of, I call it healthy fear, that we should have, and that the unsaved world should have, knowing that if we don't give our lives over to Christ, and we don't seek that forgiveness on a daily basis, that our lives will be given over to the sin that's in our life. And we will eventually be utterly destroyed by it. You know, God wishes that none should perish. God wishes that none should make the choice to stay in their sin. I love what it says in John 16, speaking of the Holy Spirit's role in the lives of each and every man, woman, and child It says, and when He, the Holy Spirit, has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in Me, Jesus says. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is a good thing. And it comes upon us as we start to really look at our lives. But it can also come through you as a believer. The conviction of the Holy Spirit can come through you as you live a righteous life. You know, it says in the Scriptures that, that your righteous life will make others understand their sin even more. You know, when you live a righteous life, God uses that in the conviction of others and their need for Christ. As the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, He left His Holy Spirit to live in the lives of Christians. Through us, the Lord shows an unbelieving world how He can work in people's lives. You know, some people knew you B.C., before Christ, and can't believe the life you're now living because how God has changed you That works in the lives of unbelievers. That sends conviction into their lives. We don't convict. The Holy Spirit does that. But He can use us in order to do that. In this story, the Holy Spirit worked through the lives of the children of Israel and brought the story of God's redemption and God's deliverance to an unbelieving world. And we'll see that even in that culture, God saved people. Verse 11, back to uh, Joshua 2. And soon as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven, above and on earth beneath. Fear. There was no more courage, she said. Our hearts melted. And Rahab puts herself in that category with the rest of Jericho, with the rest of the culture, and said, 
Our hearts melted. But one thing she did, and that is she admitted and recognized that God is God. That God is the God of heaven and the God of earth. And not these other idols that were all around the culture at that time. Rahab tells the men that because of the character of, God, of the God of Israel and everything that, that was told to them, she now understood who he was. She responded to the fear of the Lord. And she confessed that he is an all-powerful and sovereign God. That's why God can use fear to draw people to himself. Instead of becoming paralyzed with fear, Rahab expect, expressed reverence and recognition of who God really was. I love what it says in the, in the book of Proverbs in chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You know, God can use fear to cause you to understand Him better to bring knowledge of who He is into your life. The next element that we're going to see working through this story, working through the life of this woman Rahab, is faith. Is faith. In verses 12 and 13, it says, Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. Rahab had faith that if she helped these men that God would spare her life. She showed a lot of courage, really, and wisdom because she had an understanding that although God was going to judge Jericho for its wickedness, that since she came to know this God, that that judgment was not for her, that he would save her. He would somehow find a way to save her. So she put her faith in that. In a physical sense, Rahab believed God could, could deliver her and her family from the destruction, the physical destruction that was going to come upon Jericho. But in a spiritual sense, Rahab's faith was that the God of heaven and the God of earth could deliver her and her family from eternal judgment. That's what her faith, faith brought to her. And she puts feet on her faith. Look at what it says in verses 14 through 16. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. She said to them, Get to the mountains, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. She puts feet on her faith here. She trusts that God will protect her. Think about this scene of this woman who was hiding the spies from 
Israel who were going to come in and they were going to lay siege on the city of Jericho and destroy it, and yet she was hiding them. Think about the courage that it took. Think about the faith that it took for her to trust God in the midst of this. She let them escape even though she put herself at great risk to do so. It says in Hebrews 11, in that great chapter that speaks about the faithful of God, and again, we saw that she's an unlikely person in our eyes, but God included her in this chapter. In verse 31, it says, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And I love that. It was just, just receiving them, just bringing them into her home. How many of us got saved because somebody was willing to come to us and speak of the gospel, of the great news, of the salvation that can be found in Jesus Christ, and we received them? didn't we? As believers, we are commanded to go out and to speak the truth to those who come across our, our path. And then it's up to them to receive us or not. Rahab received those whom God sent, and it's what saved her. It represented her trust in God, It says in James 2.25, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? She She fully trusted the Lord that He would protect her. Moving on in Joshua, in verse 17, So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours which you have made, to, made us swear unless when we come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes out the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in this house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Rahab's faith here was brought to full completion when she fulfilled her part of the agreement. You know, her deliverance was already assured. You know, because God sees the end from the beginning. And He has a plan and a purpose for our lives before we even decide to step out into it. Her deliverance was already assured, but this simple act of faith was the evidence of her her trust in God. But think about it. Think about what she had to do at this point to really seal the deal, so to speak. Because the, the men said, we will fulfill our part of the bargain, but we need to see you do one thing. 
to show your faith. And that is to hang this scarlet cord out the same window that you let us down to escape out of. So that when we come through this city to destroy it, whoever sees that scarlet cord knows that whoever is in that home will be saved. Whoever is in that home will not be destroyed. How simple it was for her to just hang that cord out. Just hang that scarlet cord out her window and she'd be saved. Think about it as a symbol of the gospel message. How simple it is to put our faith in Jesus. How simple really it is to put our trust in what God has done to save us. That His shed blood is sufficient. That there's nothing more that we really need to do is to put our faith and trust in what He did. The scarlet cord here represents her completed faith in God. It represents the blood of our Savior that covers our sin and saves, saves us from judgment. If anyone is under the blood of Christ, he is saved. If anyone is outside the blood of Christ, he is judged. Notice how everyone that was within her home was covered. It's a beautiful f- picture, really, of the forgiveness we have in Christ, isn't it? I love what it says in Ephesians. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.13, But now, you, now in Christ Jesus, you who, are, who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You know, we look at the picture of Rahab. We, look at, we scrutinize her life. We even have a name for what she did. She was in all the ways we look at it, far off from God, wasn't she? But she was brought near through the blood represented in that scarlet cord. Reminds me also of another account in the Scriptures, a very familiar one to most of you, where people were told to mark their homes, weren't they? With red, with the blood. In in Exodus 12, it gives us this, that account in verse 22 and 23. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. What a beautiful picture. They dipped the hyssop into the blood of a spotless lamb. And that picture of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ. It's why I really, really love the Old Testament because it shows us throughout the Scriptures God's plan for redemption. We're going to see another element moving through Rahab's life here. We're going to see forgiveness. We're going to see forgiveness. I mentioned James says, 
Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messenger and sent them out another way? Just to clarify here that James is not saying we're saved by our works. He's saying our works are the evidence of our faith. Being justified means to be seen by God just as if we've never sinned. God doesn't see our sins when we, when we trust in Him. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Rahab was saved because she trusted God. The evidence of that faith was worked out in the story we just read. The evidence was worked out. It wasn't what saved her. The account in Joshua chapter 2 was the account of her physical deliverance from destruction that came upon the whole city of Jericho. We don't see this whole picture of what God did in her life until we put that together with the New Testament and we see in Hebrews 11 and we see in James 2 that God also saved her, that she had a relationship with the Lord. How beautiful when we pull the Old Testament and the New Testament together to see the completion of Rahab's salvation. God used His people, the children of Israel, and specifically the the spies that came into the land, to interact with a woman. And as we are caught up in sin, but she was ready, she was willing, she was open, and she received that message, and she responded to that. One more element before we finish up, working in Rahab's life, and that works through our lives. I said the title to today's message is Flawed, but with a future. You see, God gives a future to each of us who put our faith in Him. When God saves us, it's not just to keep us from going to hell, although, praise the Lord, that's part of it. But it's to accomplish great things by His Holy Spirit. It's to live a life that's committed to God. It's to do things that we could never do on our own because now we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to empower us to do things in this world. See, God gives us a future. God gave Rahab a future. And again, the Old Testament account only gives us a picture of a part of what he did in her life. But look in in Matthew 1. We're going to see someone's name here. In the genealogy of Jesus Christ, that we would consider maybe an unlikely person in that list. And it says in verse 5, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, who was David's father. And is Jesus not the son of David? See, God not only saved her physically, He saved her spiritually from destruction and then saved her to a future that she would never have imagined. That she would never have imagined. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure if at that time 
she even knew that she was going to be in the line of the Messiah to come. But God used it. Rahab was in the genealogy of Christ. God's deliverance from judgment that came upon Jericho and upon her life had a greater purpose than just saving her and her family. It was to use her in the lineage of Christ. You know, Rahab had a past. And don't we all have a past? But because of her faith, God gave her a future, a beautiful future. Can we not apply that to our own lives? You know, for us who have faith, have put our faith in Christ, for us who are believers and followers of Christ, we thank God that He saved us from destruction. But we want more. We want to be used by God. We don't want to just remain here. We want to express what He's done in our lives to others. We want God to use us in the lives of others. We don't know what God's going to do in each of our lives. But we do know this, that although we're flawed, He's given us a future. We don't know what it, what it is, that we need to have the faith to step out into that. He overcomes our past in order to give us a future. I'm just going to give us one more account here because I love the parallel from the story of Rahab in Joshua 2 to the story of this man in Luke 19 named Zacchaeus. It says, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. First of all, we're back in Jericho again. This is years later. Years later. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste. Come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Do you see the parallels here? See, Zacchaeus wasn't only a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector, which meant that not only did he work for Rome against Israel, but he collected even more than he was supposed to to kind of line his own pockets. So he was despised, no question. He was a despised person in that society just like Rahab was back in the other story that we read. Interesting that Jesus passed through Jericho to meet with this man and how God sent the spies into Jericho to meet with that woman Rahab. You know, Jericho was destroyed. Spoiler alert. God gave Israel the victory over Jericho. And it was utterly destroyed. As a matter of fact, God pronounced a curse on anyone who would rebuild Jericho because it was so wicked a place. He didn't want it built. How do we get to Jericho back in the New Testament? Well, 
Just, that's just the disobedience of man toward God. They rebuilt Jericho. And it turns out that it was not so much better, even in Jesus' time, than it was back then. But Zacchaeus knew he was flawed. You understand, he was a man of short stature. He had to climb up into a tree in order to see Jesus, in order to get Jesus' attention. He knew that he may not have been worthy, really, to meet with Christ. But he climbed up in that tree nonetheless. He showed faith that God would pass by and would take notice of him. He was a flawed person, no question about it. But God reached out. God saw him. How awesome is that? That God reaches us when we are searching for him. You know, Zacchaeus climbed up in that tree in order for, to get Jesus' attention, and he did. You know, Jesus did not have to pass through Jericho, but he did for that one man, to save that one man. It says in verse 7 through 9, back in that account in Luke, But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. They saw it and started complaining. This is... Society scrutinizing this man. Saying he's not worthy. He's not worthy. And then they also insulted Christ. And said, look, he's going to be a guest at the house of a sinner. But doesn't Jesus Christ reside in the heart of all of us? Sinners? Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus said. You know, society view this, viewed this meeting and they mocked Jesus and they insulted Zacchaeus, but they didn't see their own sin. Let's be careful that we don't scrutinize people and not really look and see in the mirror at our own sin. Because until we realize that we're all sinful, we'll just look down on others but we'll never be in a place for God to work miracles in our life. Verse 10, closing up in that account in Luke, says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. We're flawed. We're all flawed. We're all sinful. But God has a wonderful future for each and every person. Are you willing to step in to the plan that he has for you? You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. 
On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.